Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Christmas Slacktivist Action Group. <laughs> I myself and my wife, we, we had a, a baby daughter two weeks ago, ladies and gentlemen, two weeks ago. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Very kind. Very kind. As you will know, we get two weeks paternity leave. Um, but that's, that's only if you're employed. If you're self-employed like me, you get fuck all. You basically have to pay yourself to take two weeks off to work even harder than you would be if you were working normally, which is why I'm here today, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and, but I shall be. I shall be taking some paternity leave, and I, I am changing nappies, unlike Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> Jacob Rees-Mogg, a man who has six children. Now, if a woman said, you know, a woman with six children said, oh, I've never changed a nappy in my life, the suspicion would be that they were a terrible mother. And it should be exactly the same if a man says that, that the suspicion is that they're a terrible father. Because you have never truly bonded with your child until you have opened up their nappy (laughs) to find it brimful of wee and poo. And as you've lifted their legs to extricate your child from their own mess, and that tiny movement has enabled them to get even more out, much to your surprise. I have a son who's now six, a few years ago, and he was ill, and my wife was ill, and he was so ill and had such a high temperature, thought we'd better phone NHS director, and they said, well, you, you need to go to A&E, and my wife was too ill to go, so I took him on my own, and they said, oh, please, Mr Parsons, go into this cubicle, nurse will be with you shortly, and there was that telltale explosion and smell emanating, I thought, I need to change this, you know, <laughs> I don't want to be thought of as a bad father when the nurse comes in, so I'm there starting to change the nappy, and just as I've... Released the nappy, the swish of the curtain, the nurse has come in. I was momentarily distracted. I turned back to look at my son to see a perfect parabola of piss going over his head. And the nurse goes, oh, well, I've timed this badly, haven't I? She said, she said, don't worry. She said, I'll take over. She said, she's got a clean nappy, lifted up his legs, slid the nappy underneath. And just as she did so, this exploder poo came out all over her white uniform. Don't worry, she said. Yeah, I think that's cleared everything out now, she said. You take back over, she said. I'll be back in a mo. (laughs) And I've now had a baby daughter, and I thought, oh, things will be different with a daughter. How wrong I was, ladies and gentlemen. Changing her last week, somehow defying the laws of physics, she managed to squirt me in the ear. And small babies, they, they can't smile, can they? They can't laugh. But I had a look in her face 
there was definitely a little twinkle in the eye there. But I think that's, that's myself and my wife, we, I think that's us done. Obviously, there was a woman, you may have seen it in the press, gave birth age 70 recently, and Charlie Chaplin, he fathered a child age 73. Uh, to me, that's too old, you know. You don't, you don't want to be a toddler struggling to walk, I don't think, suddenly finding out your parents are in exactly the same state. <laughs> And you may remember that Andrea Ledson, one of the reasons she lost out, Theresa May, she lost out, didn't she, because she said, I would be a better Prime Minister than Theresa May because I'm a parent. Now, just because you're a parent doesn't make you a better person, does it? Arguably, very often, it makes you a worse person because you're you're more knackered and more grumpy and more frustrated because you have to go to a lot of places you don't want to go to with a car full of little shits. (laughs) And I know this because my, my six-year-old is a little shit very often. But you love them, don't you? Because otherwise they take them away. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome our guests for tonight, Lucy Powell MP, Telegraph columnist Michael Deacon and Richard Herring. Richard, we'll start with you. We like to, yes. to bond, if that's right, with our groups. Start with to, um, to give them a little something that maybe in an ideal world we might be less slack about. Can, yeah. you, can you offer something to the group? Well, I'm, I've struggled to understand what this means. It's going around in my head. I, I think I, well, nearly everything. I'm very slack about everything. And I'd like, to, I'd like to be less slack about like exercise. I'd like to be less slack about exercising at just the moment. Um, I, in terms of like political stuff, our central heating broke down this weekend, and uh, I became very unslack about getting our central heat, our boiler fixed. They wouldn't fix it, they wouldn't come round, and I, I had a go at them, and I tweeted about it so that they would then take pay attention to me. Uh, and, and, and so I got they, that did, done. So yeah, so and, and they came round. They said they couldn't come till Tuesday, and they came on Saturday because I I was the advantage so, of having two hundred thousand exactly, Twitter followers. Exactly. <laughs> Although I think anyone does that, then then they care about the, the, the social media comments. But as I was doing that, I kind of realised there's a lot of people sleeping out on the streets who don't even have walls and stuff, and you don't you know you don't and, and don't sleep. have Twitter. I, ha- I don't have a duvet. I still had, I still had a duvet. So you know I kind of think it'd be nice to help out a bit more for people who have to because it was fucking horrible. Sorry. Can I, Am I allowed to swear at Yes, you, you certainly Good. are. Richard. It was fucking horribly... You, you, you don't cold. have to be more slack about not yeah. swearing. <laughs> it was very, very cold that night. I had no central heating. I was in the house and I had a duvet. So I'd like to be less slack about caring about the homeless. Michael, what about you? What would you like to offer to the group? Uh, well, personally, um, I don't know about anyone else, but personally I would like to be less slack about um, changing my bath towel. Um, now, I, <laughs> I hope I don't come across as someone who's wildly unhygienic um it's just it's just something i forget you know every morning have a shower get out dry with the towel hang it up again and it just never really occurs to me because i'm always in a rush and getting the boy ready for nursery and all that kind of thing and getting to work um it just doesn't occur to me to put that used towel in the laundry basket and get another one and so i end up using the same bath towel for weeks and i'm afraid even months on end (laughs) to the point where uh, after I've dried off, I'm actually probably dirtier than I, I was when I got into the um, the shower. And I think it's actually getting to the point now where I might as well leave it another couple of weeks because then uh, I won't need to bother having a shower. I can just kind of scrape the dirt off me with the towel, just use it like a kind of scourer. Or maybe you just take the, the towel into the shower with you and wash the towel whilst you're having a shower. <laughs> That's a good thought. I like that. That's a solution. Thank you. No problems. Are you the same about underpants? 
I'm not saying about underpants. I want to place that on the record right now. You meant to change your pillows. You meant to change pillows every six months or something, like change them. (laughs) Like get rid of the ones you had and and get new ones. That's what I tell my husband about cushions. And no, has anyone ever changed your husband a fan of cushions? Is he? No. No. Why are we buying more cushions, he'll say? Because we need more cushions. And so he says get rid of them every six months. No, he doesn't say that. No, (laughs) No. I say that. Well, surely he'd be quite keen for you to get rid of them, no, wouldn't he? Just don't buy any new <laughs> Just ones. Just don't buy any new ones, yeah. yeah. Keep the same ones for a lifetime. So you, you, should, be, you should be less slack about not buying cushions. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, yeah. What, what, else, what else would you like? I, I did struggle with this question. Yes. I had to read it a few times when you sent it to me beforehand because I was thinking, well, sure, you mean being more slack about stuff. Because no. I'm quite... We, we... Yeah, I know, I know. I'm thinking maybe I'm at the wrong gig. Like, um, yeah, I'm quite control freak, anal, busy. I've got three kids. I'm quite a pushy parent. So, yeah, there's quite a lot I could be more slack about. But being less slack, yeah, the exercise and diet would probably have to be what I'd have to be less And slack. how are you with chocolate advent calendars? Well, I'm on a diet at the moment... So I'm not eating any of the kids' chocolate advent calendars. Okay. They've so, all got one. Yeah. And they're, they're quite good this year. Like, most years, they do eat them all at the beginning of the advent. But uh, this year, they're just having one every morning. But I do yeah. buy them. Yeah, I'm good. My, um, my, my wife's husband, he won't be listening to this, so I'm, I can... But he... he uh, he's, he's, oh, oh, no, I am my wife's husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I, should be, I should be less slack about working out who my wife's husband is. Um, no, my wife's, my wife's father... He, um, <laughs> Freud, Freud, even is, Freud, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, I saw the look on your face there, Richard. Yeah. Maybe I won't finish this story. No, no. In an we, ideal we world, I'll be less slack about finishing this story. <laughs> so let, let's talk a little bit of politics, uh, okay. Lucy. You, you are, you're worth shadow education. You're, you're, you know, just written a port or recently written a port for the uh, Social Market mm-hmm. Foundation. Mm-hmm. Your sort of uh, early years education is, is one of your big things. Yep. Now, sure start lost one in three, I think, you know, the, the Conservative recent years, when kids are judged, apparently uh, tests age three are a very good indicator mm-hmm. how kids are going to do in, in later life. I mean, it's a tragedy that, in some ways, you, you can look at a three-year-old and you, you can give it some idea of whether it's destined to fail or not. You're, you're only being sort of toilet-trained age three, and, you know, the idea of this accessory watching you on some, some potty or whatever and going, no, nah, no, nah, not going to make it, this one, no. <laughs> I mean, that, that is tragic, and what, what should we do? Well, it, it's quite serious, actually. Yeah, well, that's fine. Fair, yeah. you know, um, actually, a lot of kids do arrive at school not potty trained, um, and that is one of the challenges. But, but a, a more affluent child, this is a statistic I learned recently, I think it's quite shocking, a more affluent child by the age of three will have heard 30 million more words being spoken to them or around them in their life than a child that's less affluent. Um, and, and those inequalities don't disappear through a child's life. So still the biggest indicator of how well you'll do at your GCSEs, the biggest factor in your whole life about how well you'll do at your GCSEs is not your school, it's not anything else. It's how well developed you are at the age of five. So unless we do something about those early years, we won't be able to, to address some of those inequalities. So that's why I campaign so hard for it. Yeah, look at that. And, and a round of applause is not an easy thing from the Slacktivist Action Group. That is a standing ovation to most audiences. So. But the, uh, the Social Mobility Commission resigned, yeah. didn't yeah. they, recently, uh, saying that Theresa May, she might believe in social justice, but she's done nothing to promote it. Arguably, 
she had a crack with the, the, the dimension tax was her best idea, and that obviously went down like a cup of cold six. So uh, she said she's not going to do anything about it soon, they don't reckon, and obviously given that uh, she's sort of toast walking on ice, really, the, the chances of her doing, doing it at all, it seemed limited. Well, she is toast walking on ice, but she's also... We're all obsessed with Brexit, the whole of Parliament, the whole of any energies going into Brexit. So whatever you think about Brexit, it's just going to dominate the whole kind of political energy. Um, I mean, we Does it have to, though? I mean, you no, know. and I'm so bored of it. I'm so sick of it. I don't know about anybody else. Sorry. Um, but there are big challenges that we face as a country about social mobility, about young people, about being able to get on, about what the role of our country is going to be in this ever-changing world. And yet we are just talking all the time about Brexit. So I worked out the other day... Do you want to know a really sad fact? That yeah, I yeah. No, worked no. out the other day. So... We, we've been voting recently, as you might have seen in the media, very late at night, all the time, on this Brexit bill that's going through Parliament. We've actually voted 36 times on this Brexit uh, committee stage of the bill. And each vote takes about 15 minutes. So that's nine hours I've just literally been walking in and out of the lobby. I've not been speaking, I've not been doing anything. So, like, 600 MPs times nine hours. Like, we could do something with that time, couldn't we? Th- 3,600 hours of MPs thinking about education for young people or closing the inequality gap or homeless people or something more serious instead of pointless votes that we lose every well, time. Well, M- Michael, Michael's been <laughs> following this as the parliamentary sketch writer for The Telegraph and you, you were commenting, uh, I noticed last week, Michael, saying that you, you were never going to quite get used to a Remain Prime Minister pretending to be Brexity having a go at a, a Brexity <laughs> opposition leader who was pretending to be remaining yeah, yeah. about not being Brexity enough. That's exactly and it. Every, every day, this is all I write about, every day, the same thing. It is so, it's so boring. I'm desperate for something else to happen. You know, like the economy collapsing, that would be wonderful. I mean, just a change of pace. And fingers crossed, it's going to happen soon, so I'm looking out for that. But, but the, it's the, just, the, 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 the problem with Brexit, right, is incredibly important. Everything that's being said in Parliament at the moment is incredibly important, but it's also incredibly boring. And it's a bit like when you're online and a box pops up uh, saying, please tick to confirm that you have read and understood the terms and conditions. <laughs> and you know that probably in there, in those hundreds and hundreds of pages of small print, there is something important. You should probably know that you're signing away, but you think, oh, this is just too... Bo- I cannot possibly bother to read it. I'm just going to tick it and say, yeah, fine, get on with it. I want to go ahead. And that's how, how I think a lot of people probably feel about Brexit. It's just, I know it's important, but can we just get it over and done with and, and, and move on? But there was one uh, Tory MP, uh, Tracy Crouch, she's a sports minister, and she says that she gets uh, voters coming up to her in the street in her constituency, begging her to tell the BBC to stop reporting on Brexit because they're so bored of hearing about it every single news bulletin. I mean, I don't know if an MP actually has the power to dictate what goes on in the news bulletins, but the fact that people think, I need to do something, I don't want to hear about this anymore. And her constituents, by the way, voted for Brexit. They just don't want to hear any more about it. Well, they, they may be worried if they hear more about it, it, it won't be good news. I mean, you, you could argue that the, the Brexit opposition leader is not really pretending to be that Remainian at the moment, but... Being Brexity is in a bit of trouble if even the Brexity Remainy opposition leader <laughs> is having to actually mention Brexit at parliamentary questions, which he hadn't done until uh, a couple of weeks ago. But even he felt obliged. It had gone so badly to actually say something about it. Uh, yeah, well, in that sentence, you said Brexity and Remainy so many times. I, I don't <laughs> even really know what you were saying, but I think it was definitely right. <laughs> 
you said, Richard, uh, in terms of Brexit, you, you may not remember, you're giving me a perplexed look at the moment, okay. but you said the negotiations currently, 27 of the cleverest experts or whatever, you know, EU countries, they've all got yeah. their cleverest experts, versus the biggest twats in ours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you, you're obviously on the fence on this one, Richard. Yeah, well, it's... A, it's <laughs> We're at a disadvantage, I think, is, is, the, is the point, isn't it? They're, they, they're well prepared. They lose... Europe don't lose us, which is sad for them, but they, they, they still have 27 other countries or 26 other countries to play around with. So we're, we're the ones who are going to lose out here. And, we, you know, the problem is it's not a defined thing. It's defined as its own thing. Brexit means Brexit. That's all we've got. Uh, and so Nigel Farage says, this is terrible, this isn't what we voted for... It, you know, and but we did. We just voted for a yes or no question. Uh, it's certainly not come out as hard Brexit. You know, I, I think there's fifty-two, forty-eight. That's the second softest Brexit that we voted for out of the fifty. There are fifty shades of Brexit. hundred percent, zero percent would have been the hard Brexit. Would have been probably that kind of tracing paper, toilet paper. You used to, I mean, it's definitely a brown colour Brexit, but it's. Uh, that would have been that your grandparents used to have. It's, it's, I, I think, this I is think a nice kind of Andrex, probably the quilted Brexit <laughs> is what we're going for. Tracy With Crouch. Aloe Vera. <laughs> yeah. Tracy Crouch's, you know, constituency now, 50 shades of Brexit. They're getting, <laughs> getting more excited by the moment. But your, your constituency, Manchester Central, yeah. you, you were 60% to remain, but you, you voted to trigger yeah. Article 50. Um, now, David Davis, he's... Uh, he had said that he'd been writing 50 to 60 impact assessments, uh, 22 other crucial issues, making 127 in total. Now, obviously, 50 to 60 plus 22 doesn't come anywhere close <laughs> to 127. But then he said uh, just because he'd mentioned the word impact uh, didn't mean that he'd actually written an impact assessment. So <laughs> it, it appears very much that maybe he should go to a doctor and have an impact assessment on his own brain, quite possibly, <laughs> or at least a sexual analysis. Would that be a fair comment, would you say, Lucy? A bit more numeracy at school, yeah. Yes. More maths, you could go back and yeah. try and sit a SATS paper. But what, what, did, what, did, what did you make of, you know, this, this idea that, uh, you know, he'd written 50 to 60, but then he'd actually written soddle? Well, it doesn't give us much confidence, does it, that the guy who's leading our negotiations is absolutely winging it. I mean, he's he's totally winging it all the time, isn't he? And Michael writes about this as well. Um, he doesn't uh, Michael's, seem to... Michael's just got his phone out. I wasn't yeah. Yeah. Well, did there you is a reason for that. Do you want to just check, check, I'm not, check the quote? I'm not, I'm, I, I literally am just going to check a quote. I was not just finding something else to read about there. I genuinely was. I mean, um, I have a theory now that the last 18 months um, haven't actually happened. David Davis is just having a really bad dream and we, we're all just living in it. Because things keep happening that he himself actually warned against in the distant past and now he's stuck in the middle of it, trapped in the sort of the things he warned against. And this is it, right, this is a genuine quote, right, from a Commons debate 15 years ago. Right, this is David Davis talking, OK? Um, he said... He told MPs, referendums should only be held when voters know exactly what they're getting. We should not ask people to vote on a blank sheet of paper and then tell them to trust us to fill in the details afterwards. <laughs> For referendums to be fair and compatible with our parliamentary process, we need voters to be as well-informed as possible and to know exactly what they're voting for. And now here he is, you know, busily filling in the details afterwards, you know. But is it any surprise that he's as shit as he is? This was the bloke who lost out to David Cameron for the leadership of the Conservative Party. So the bloke who's negotiating Brexit is even shitter than the bloke who'd already fucked up Brexit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
And the, the, the Lib Dem press office, uh, they, they tweeted out last week that the government may not have done any impact assessments on Brexit, but the government had just done an impact assessment on ice cream van chimes. <laughs> and David Davies, obviously, he said, didn't he? He said, oh, I don't do impact assessments because they've always proved to be wrong in the past. If you've done an impact assessment, it may be wrong, but it'd be less wrong than not having done any at all. I'm guessing, having done the ice cream van assessment now, that you know, there may be a few decibels out or whatever, but they've ruled out God save the Queen at full volume at 3am in the morning or whatever. Well, the one thing he's consistent about is that Brexit is definitely going to happen, whatever, because you must honour the will of the people and so on. But funnily enough, I've got another old David Davis quote about that. Um, uh, decades ago, he used to be a businessman. He was an executive at Tate & Lyle, the sugar people. And he wrote a great long article um, full of his business advice for the Harvard Business Review. And this is in 1985, so it's a long time ago. But he, he it's wrote, nice to... I think it's, it's always good piece. to have those quotes come back and haunt you. <laughs> this is, this is so, very good, because it was a piece uh, where he advised about the dangers of taking on a really big project that maybe you can't see through and turns out to be really expensive. This is David Davis's advice. Uh, if called for, company executives should decide to abandon the project rather than throw good money after bad. Project managers who believe that closing down a project will wreck their careers are often tempted to carry on in the hope that they will have a slight chance of saving their reputations. Both courses carry the risk of disaster for those responsible for a project, but one, abandonment, is often far better for the company. <laughs> yeah. And if we wanted proof of if what the EU thinks of Theresa May, um, it was provided uh, very nicely last week. She had to get up very early in the morning, had to go off for this breakfast meeting with Donald Tusk. The reason it was so early, the meeting, um, he had to go off later to Hungary to, uh, to get up some honorary degree from a Hungarian university. <laughs> oh, I'm terribly sorry, Prime Minister, we need you up at 2am because I want to go and wear some silly gown and a silly hat at a country <laughs> I've got no connection with. Well, that, that is the priority for the day, and I'm not going to change my diary, Prime Minister. Exactly, exactly that, yeah. But don't forget, the EU need us more than we need them. That's, That's right. what we were told the whole way through. They're going to be there with their begging bowls because they want to sell Prosecco to the good people of Soho. Easy, easiest negotiation yeah, in history. Yeah. That's what I'd heard. <laughs> I, thought the, I thought the most interesting thing that came out of that breakfast meeting was that David Davis is allergic to orange juice. Did you... <laughs> they, I heard him interviewed on Radio 4 and he said, did you have your orange juice at breakfast? He said, I'm, I, no, if I drink orange juice, I vomit. Which is... You know, Maybe I'll flip him a bit in the I know, exactly. They've got an extra negotiating tactic now. He's yeah, given too a, much apple juice. He's, he, he's shown his hand. That was the oh, no. he was supposed to give away. Oh, stupid. Yeah, Boris Johnson, no better. We've seen if we wanted any further proof. Obviously, he's obviously been in Iran recently, hasn't he? He's at, Hadn't done his homework. Our British citizen locked up in Iran on secret charges, got five years, and then he, he made this comment in the House of Commons, and she was supposedly looking at ten years, so he, he had to actually go and visit the country, didn't he? And the thing is, she's accused of training journalists. He is, in fact, a journalist. My hope was that when he touched Dan, they might release her and arrest him. That would have been, would have been a nice touch. What did you make of, of those comments, Michael, in terms of Boris Johnson? Were you... I, I couldn't possibly speak ill of a colleague. Or... <laughs> <laughs> he, he's no longer... Is he still no, 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 Telegraph. Um, yeah, well, I'll tell you what I found really weird about that, that whole um, situation was when, you know, he, obviously he got it wrong when he said she'd been training journalists, but then, you know, and, and he was questioned about this many times in MPs afterwards, um, but he wouldn't admit that he'd, he'd got it wrong. 
you know, he could, you know, because he could just simply said, yes, I, I, I misread my notes or something like that, or somebody gave me the wrong information. But just to be clear, it's absolutely not true. He wouldn't admit that he'd been wrong. He, I mean, he, he just said that, oh, you're, you know, you're playing into the hands of the Iranians or something like that, and it's not true. But he wouldn't take responsibility for saying that. Most no. unlike him, most out of character. I was going to sure. say, were you surprised <laughs> about probably that? Just a, yeah. Probably just a slip that he kept making over and over again in the House of Commons. <laughs> it happens to us all. If you, you know, if you'd said, Richard, that you'd written, let's say, 50 to 60 scripts, you know, <laughs> and then you'd gone, you know, you had a meeting with the producers and said, oh, no, actually, I haven't written 50 to 60 <laughs> scripts. I've, I've written 50 to 60 Christmas cards. Yeah. You, you'd expect to get sacked, wouldn't you? you wouldn't, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, luckily you find yourself in a position... It probably is like entertainment. Some people are unsackable, aren't they? Because people <laughs> depend on them for different reasons, as we're finding out uh, in horrible ways in the show business industry. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> well, feel free to drop some names. I wasn't quite sure who you were talking about there. Well, you know, people have these positions of power and you can't get rid of them and, and they're making terrible mistakes until someone finally goes, hold on, yeah. this bloke's a cunt. Uh, and, uh, and then they go, oh, yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, sorry, we should sack him. Because Theresa May can't sack him because, you know, obviously that derails everything, this ridiculous, precarious situation she's, she's got herself well, into where she doesn't have a majority because of her own... But let, let's whatever. hope... I mean, <laughs> using what, 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 do, what do they need to do, Boris Johnson and David Davis, to get sacked? Well, let's hope that maybe he goes over to Brussels, has some orange juice, it all goes <laughs> pear-shaped. What I'd love to see him commit some misdemeanour after a few wines at a Brussels summit gets arrested, and then Boris Johnson has to go over there and intervene on his behalf. <laughs> that, that would seem to me to be perfect No one's accountable anymore. You know, it's Donald Trump, you know, no-one's accountable for anything, as long as you don't admit to having made the mistake. And I think that's what Boris Johnson's doing. Everyone, you know, if, if you admit to the mistake, you have to resign. If you don't admit to the mistake, you don't have to resign. So that's, that's a crazy situation where now... You can't believe anything anyone says. I mean, you know, and Boris Johnson, the day before he decided which way he was going to go on the Europe, wrote two articles both ways, and now he's this solid uh, Brexiteer. But you've he, he just made a, an expedient decision. Did, well, did one you, of those articles was really persuasive, he found, and, and since then, he's been absolutely <laughs> certain. Just, Sadly, his article was so good it persuaded him on the spot. Maybe, so maybe that's it. That. He's a very powerful columnist. It was weird how sad he looked when he won, wasn't it? And that was the him and Gove. <laughs> How crushed they I've were got to by do their victory. Now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've, you've been researching Donald Trump as well. You've uh, you'd read a bit of his book. Oh, yes, think, yeah. Think, think big and kick ass. Because this idea that we've got to be nice to Donald Trump because we want a decent deal from America. And mm, yeah, you'd yeah, found we... this quote saying that basically if you were... In his book, he says, oh, don't think that a good deal is both sides winning. A well, good, a good deal is... Exactly is, in fact, uh, when you win and you crush your opponent. That, well, that, that, it, that's it, exactly it. Yeah, the, the book is from ten years ago, and it was called Think Big and Kick Ass. And, and a grab book, pussies. A book of, <laughs> book of Donald Trump's <laughs> business advice. It's almost as good a Dave, as David Davis's. And, yeah, exactly this. He says, you hear lots of people say that a great deal is when both sides win. That is a bunch of crap. In a great deal, you win, not the other guy. You crush the opponent and come away with something better for yourself. And so, yeah, basically, this is the plan of the government, um, is uh, we mustn't upset this man, because if we are very, very, very kind and on our very best behavior, he's going to give us the most wonderful trade deal. He's going to break the habit of a lifetime in business, and he's going to say, no, for you guys, you guys, I won't crush you. In terms of... 
David Davis going over there and negotiating a deal with Donald Trump. I've just got this vision of David Davis coming back on the plane and I've got a little bit of paper in my hand. You know, I've got a free trade agreement. Just because I've got a free trade agreement, I say it's a free trade agreement, doesn't mean this trade is free. <laughs> the chances of us getting a good deal with a man who puts America first seem limited. Would I be... Fair, fair to assume that? I think so. I mean, it, I think it will be as pathetic as when Michael Gove went and did that really tough interview with him. Do you remember that? With he Rupert just, Murdoch, yeah. not, not, on, not in shot. And, and he said, tell us how brilliant you really are. No, no, tell me, really, how brilliant really are you? Um, it was a very probing interview that Michael Gove did. So I think that, you know, David Davis going over there will be just as probing and just as tough. And What's we'll... kind of wonderful, though, about these guys, the America first and Britain first and the National Front in France, they all kind of come together. And maybe they all kind of agree with each other that they're the best. And maybe by doing that, they'll all kind of decide, hey, let's all have a world where we're all the best. Because <laughs> it's America first, Britain first, you know, and all these, all these right-wing governments are basically negotiating with each other. It, Nigel it's Farage. Maybe it's just thought. the taking part that yeah. counts. <laughs> it's just like yeah. they, it's just they'll the create a new Euro- yeah. union, a new <laughs> European union of all the horrible people, but at least we'll all be together again. In terms of the Trump visit, so Theresa May didn't want to slam him down too hard, still wants to invite him. I noticed there's some talk that he might turn up in Manchester. There was some, And a lot of people in, in Manchester saying, oh, terribly sorry, you're going to be busy that day. Yeah. This, is, this is one trip that uh, London can do on its own. Well, the leader of the council, Richard Leese, who I think has got about as much hair as you have, if I'm allowed to say that. You, you, uh, you certainly he, are. He said, you, you haven't seen all of me. Yeah, though, yeah. But, uh... <laughs> he, said, he said he'd be busy washing his hair that day, so right. um, he wouldn't be able to host. Well, good luck to Donald Trump if he wants to come to Manchester. I don't know if he's seen a stadium full of Mancunians, but, uh, you know, that's not, that's not something you'd want to go into, I don't think. No, well, it, it was interesting because he... he, Back, he bring tweet- him down, bring him down. To well, he tweeted, he tweeted the wrong Theresa May, didn't he? Tweeted, yeah. Yeah, tweeted yeah. the lady in, in, in Bognor Regis, <laughs> some lady in Bognor Regis. And I was thinking, well, if he thinks that's where Theresa May lives, why, why don't we send him on a state visit to Bognor Regis? <laughs> you know, they, they could use the publicity, yeah, they'd be happy enough. Send him on the, like, the promenade mini train for a little special trip, then maybe a little slap-up meal down at you know, Spice Paradise on the seafront, followed by 70s night at Butlins. Oh, he won't be coming back to Britain any time soon, will he? That'd be good I'll fun. take him on a walkabout. Around some of my constituents. You're willing to take, yeah. take the hit for the rest of the country, yeah, yeah. are you, Lucy? Take him on a walkabout. We'll knock on a few doors, see how he feels about well, that. Well, I've, I've actually seen you on the walkabout because you were on the telly recently, weren't oh, you? Oh, yeah, yeah. L- Labour. Labour, the summer that changed everything. Yeah. And uh, we saw you knocking on a few doors. But actually, on the day of the election, you were actually knocking on doors for a neighbouring constituency. Yeah. Because you have the, the very nice situation mm-hmm. that uh, you have Labour's 15th safest seat. Basically, Labour have got to do worse than the Lib Dems for you to be in trouble. I mean, that, on, on, on polling day, to be actually knocking up in a different constituency to your own one is, is a rather nice situation in some ways. It is a nice situation in, in many ways, yeah. But I don't take it for granted, but... Um, yeah, I, I, most of the election I was in. Yeah, other, you do. I, <laughs> yeah. No, I, no, I don't actually. You were knocking up in another constituency. That's absolutely taking yeah. it for granted. No. It was not. It was not taking her consti- the other constituency for granted. That's what it was. No, but I do do a lot of work with my own residents a lot of the time. Um, yeah. 
We, we, but knocking up... I don't think resident, residents don't thank you for knocking them up anyway, particularly. Maybe we've used... Not the best... <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's a quote. Sorry. There's a quote for tonight. <laughs> if you're going to knock if them only, up... If yeah, only yeah. there was a journalist in the room who could use thank, that thank and make God, a note I'm, of it. If you're going to knock them up, go to a neighbouring constituency to do it. Don't do it in your own... Don't knock up in your own doorstep. That's what... <laughs> I spent most of the election in other people's constituencies, actually, but I did yeah. do a lot in my own. Yeah. But it wasn't taken anything for granted. No. no. Um, <laughs> I want a, I want 15, ele- 15. No, the, the, the thing that my constituents would benefit the most from as one of the poorest constituencies in the country is a Labour government. So in order to get a Labour government, we've got to win seats that we wouldn't otherwise win. So I'm not we, going to apologise. We're we, trying to win more seats for not, Labour. Not Sorry. at all. Nobody would expect you to, to admit... <laughs> Anything else, Lucy? So it, it's not—it's not a problem. <laughs> you, you have defended your honour valiantly there. Um, but it was, it was intrigued by watching. Did you like that film? Uh, well, it was—it was interesting. It, it's on iPlayer. I think it's for, for another couple of days if people w- want to watch it. it was, it's an hour long. Uh, followed four Labour MPs. There was some talk on there. You were saying towards the end of the film that momentum activists had come into wards in your constituency mm-hmm. with a handbook. That a lot of them hadn't done any help during the election, but we're now taking the wards, trying to get rid of some people who've been helping Labour for years, and you, you thought this was wrong. Um, now, how are the two sides of Labour at the moment, would you say? We talk of the, the Corbyn love bubble. Are, are you feeling the love at the moment, Lucy? How, how are things? We're all good at the moment. We're all yeah. good. I mean, what I would say is the vast majority of people who've joined the Labour Party are people who've joined the Labour Party for really, really good reasons because they want to change the world for better and they're idealists and they're like we all were when we first joined the Labour Party. So it's only a small sort of group that maybe didn't know what they were quite doing when they were coming along to try and get rid of some people who've worked for a long time in very difficult circumstances for Labour Party. And do you, yeah, do you like think that. that so all this talk of deselection you think has been overblown and, and isn't, isn't going to happen in, in the way that people suspect it may between now and whenever the, the next election is? I do think it is overblown. I mean, there's obviously one or two places around the country, Haringey being one that's near here, where I think there's, there are other issues at play and it is happening there. But generally speaking, no, it's good. It's got lots of new members, it's all good. And what do you make of that, Michael? <laughs> uh, you watch the Labour Party at play and at work in the House of Commons. What do you, what do you make of the state of them um, at the moment? I, I like momentum. I particularly like their poetry. They write some very good poems about uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Generally, they had a, a con- um, their own momentum conference uh, last year um, at the same time as the official Labour one was going on, and they were selling um, books of Corbyn poetry. Uh, ten pounds a go, and it's the best ten pounds I ever spent. Fantastic! <laughs> uh, literally, just sixty basically odes, love poems to Jeremy Corbyn. It's fantastic. And there's but a Jer- very... Jeremy Corbyn 2018 annual. I'm reliably informed. Uh, I'm I've lo- got it. I'm, I'm looking forward to <laughs> getting it for off. Christmas. But um, you know, uh, we, uh, at first, you know, we were all kind of mocking momentum. But it turns out actually that you know they've been really influential. You know, you're just talking about you know momentum trying to deselect Labour MPs. Last week, a few Tory MPs dare to vote against the government on Brexit, and you've got Nadine Doris, a Tory MP, another Tory commentator, saying, "Deselect them now!" So you see the influence momentum wheel. <laughs> Tories. There's going to, there's, there's, so there's going to be a Tory version now, and it's going to be terrifying. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You, Richard, you, you do a wonderful Leicester Square podcast. You are, you are known as the podfather, <laughs> the, the, the father of, of, the, of the comedy pod. Now, you normally interview uh, comedians, but you had, uh, you had Jeff Lloyd on recently, along with Ed Miliband. Yeah, it was very exciting, yeah. Ed Miliband, a man who's got his, uh, his own podcast mm-hmm. now, yeah. and after having done a, a stint on Radio 2. And, and in some ways, Lucia, as, as vice chair of the 2015 mm-hmm. Ed's general election campaign, you must take some credit for, for Ed sort of, you know, taking off on the, the radio podcast route. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good friends with Ed, yeah. yes. I did. I ran Ed's leadership campaign as well. Yes. Yeah, slightly more successful than the uh, the general election campaign. It was a very tough election, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to give was, us any, well, any... I don't know what you want me to say about it. I think that, you know, the 2015 <laughs> election was a, a, a very, very difficult election. Yeah, um, yeah sort of politicians' answer. But I think we... Because of the narrative of that election, it was that the media kind of pushed and pushed and pushed, which was that Labour might end up being a coalition of chaos. I mean, how the irony has that has now played out. Um, and I think because of that, Labour got a lot less scrutiny in the 2017 election. Um, and uh, so, you know, we, we ended yeah, up with and, a better and, and you had a lot of terrible ideas in your manifesto, like uh, an energy price cap. I mean, that, no, who would suggest that exactly. sort of thing? Yeah. But, um, Theresa May is, is millibandism... Uh, Coming to re- reality, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, no. You... So, but anyway, Ed's, Ed's. Did you have a good laugh with Ed? Yeah, it's great. And what's interesting, I think, is you know, w- without the pressure of uh, worrying about all that stuff, about he's a, he's an incredibly charming, well, very well, funny man. The great I think thing. if he'd just been, him, you know, if he'd been allowed to be himself in the in the leadership campaign, I mean, in the in the in the in the, in the, in the, in the parliamentary campaign, I think he, he might have had a good. But the great because, advantage because is, you're aware it, of that. His that. brother has never been offered a radio two slot, no. and his brother doesn't have a podcast, <laughs> so there's much less pressure on him to, to make this one work. I don't but think it, it was a case of him not being allowed. I think it was the the, the pressure of that, you know thinking that you're on the verge of maybe winning an election, there's a whole different pressure to sure. maybe the pressure that Jeremy faced this time, which was that, 
you know, he was the kind of midnight sort of uh, batsman, you know, the, is that what they call it? The, the night, watchman, <laughs> night watchman, the night watchman, you know, who, who was at the start of the election... The midnight batsman. The midnight batsman, I'm sorry. It's a new term, I'm excited by it. <laughs> so, He's the midnight batman, uh, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the more exciting... <laughs> No, but you know when you when you come into an election twenty points behind, yeah. you've got nothing to lose. You can just try and of whack course. them out of the park. But that's and it's the a point. But that's, thing. I think that's why Theresa May did so badly as yes, well, though, because exactly. both of them had the same basic, you know, team behind them going. You get asked the question, now answer it. Whatever they ask you, this is the answer to give. You'll get the. They both got those those sort of you know those videos where they show them answering different questions in the same way again and again shamefully one of them is of Theresa May days had, after Glenn he Glenn had 14 Ford. goes um, eating that bank sandwich yeah. edit the same way each time <laughs> but you know if he'd, he, he, he he was people were very impressed with him I think in terms of people who don't, wouldn't necessarily know too much about him uh, who aren't necessarily all that into politics I think you know when he just came on was himself he you know I asked stupid and rude questions and he managed to bat those off very successfully in, in the correct way but you know he also showed himself to be funny and human and you know and failing to eat a sandwich correctly is a very human in some ways for you it's a tragedy that they don't get a second go (laughs) no there is a tragedy I mean he is very funny and he is very human and it is a shame that all that that people didn't get to see that properly and And that's partly the prism and the the world in which you're operating in it's not so much that he was stopped from doing it it's just how the, the context was at the time. Yeah, sure. And, and in hindsight, you, can, you know, you look back and go, oh, God, I wish he'd won. And you look back and go, I wish David had won the... Uh, late. That's what I think. I think if David had won the Labour leadership election, you know, we'd, we'd be in a very different world. And then, that, that was another 50-50... But then you don't moment. know, you know, this is the man who held up a wonky banana and thought it was a good publicity <laughs> shot, wasn't it? So uh, Personally, you know. I don't think we were... I think we would be in a worse position if David had won Well, but either way, but it's, it's sort of interest, it's interesting to go back, but it's interesting, all these, which is quite rare in this country, all these basically 50-50 votes that make quite a big difference mm. about, you know, and there's been several of them, are very close votes, and Brexit being the main one, that we're, we're, we're wrecking the next 15 years of our country in order to satisfy people who will all be dead by the time it, they get what they wanted. So. <laughs> and then we'll just go back to Europe. No, in no, 15 years' time. Not nicely on the fence again. Uh, no. have, you, have you seen Ed Miliband's Christmas card? No. It's a, it's a picture of him from um, the last leg when he was set up with the leather jacket on eating a bacon sandwich on L- the motorbike. Looking like the Fonz. Yeah, it's really good. It's good. It's good. It's his own Christmas card. Yeah. Has he not sent you one? He, hasn't oh, he obviously didn't this. enjoy the podcast no, that much not. then, did he? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But did I'm you, not here to make friends. Did, did you get one from his brother, though? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I saw David Miliband in uh, queue for taxis at uh, King's Cross the other day. Yeah. Thought, yeah. And I thought he wouldn't, if he'd gone the other way, he wouldn't be in that taxi queue, would he? <laughs> that was his own car. Did you tap him around. on the shoulder and say that? <laughs> he had very weird shoes, and I'm glad he didn't win because okay. of his shoes. His shoes were inappropriate <laughs> for what he was wearing. <laughs> That's, that's how we judge our politicians. <laughs> you never see the politicians' shoes, and that's they should just. You, you see that's Therese? all you should see. It should be like that program for dating where they just show their cocks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, politicians should only show their shoes, and then we would know. Have you seen Nigel Farage's um, patriotic shoes? He has uh, shoes that are literally just the union flag, literally the entire design, and socks, matching socks. That's how much he cares about this great country. <laughs> <laughs> Sad he's having such a bad time, isn't it? And sp- spending so much time in America. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I'm El- surprised El- he can afford shoes. He's so poor. <laughs> he's so poor at the moment. So, Richard, you're, you're, you're off on tour next year. Yes, you, in, you, yeah, from you, you have a You have a, a show called uh, 
Oh Freak, I'm 50. Yes. And this is a follow-up to your Oh Fuck, I'm 40. Yes. From 10 years ago. And now you, you think this, you're, you're viewing this as some sort of trilogy, I understand. Well, I th- you know, I thought it'd be nice to do it every 10 years to chart the progress of ageing, so I see this as the penultimate instalment. Yeah. <laughs> just, so, Oh, oh Shag, I'm 60 is a possibility, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> Oh Shit, I'm 70, you think... You, you, I think I might not make it that far. No. I, I'm, to be honest, I'm, the way I'm feeling at the moment, I'm not sure about 60. I'm glad, I'm glad I've got to 50. <laughs> Now, with, with, with a man with small children, is this showing a certain lack of ambition, do you think? Or... <laughs> I think the, the children have saved me. You know, meeting my wife and having children has saved my life. I think if that hadn't happened to me, right. my life might have gone a different way. But also having young children at 50 is definitely going to kill me. So they've, they've given me an extra lease of life, but I'll be dead in five years. <laughs> and and talking, talking, of, talking of such things, uh, there was a list of comics uh, recently, the, the, the hardest-working comics this year. Now, you're 13th yeah. list of the hardest-working hardest, mm-hmm. hardest comics. I'm, I'm third on this. Are you? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, what, what the point I was going to make to Richard was that when we set out doing comedy, the last thing we wanted to be considered was hard working. Where has it all gone wrong, Richard? Well, it's hard working compared to other comics, though, isn't it? So that might be nothing. Maybe, maybe that's true, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, you know, it's, but that's what's interesting. When we started out, and we did start, we actually shared a flat together in we uh, did. a rented house together in the early 1990s. Well, we, uh, and, we, uh, yeah, you know, we, but it was, you know, you, it, there wasn't this industry in the way, you know, we, we weren't going into it thinking we're going to be working hard and we're going to be rich, you know, whereas now I think people see Michael McIntyre and, you know, it's, and I think now there's, everyone, you have to work hard, don't you, because there's, there's so much competition now. I mean, we're lucky in a sense, you and I, that we have managed to get through the door before, yeah. <laughs> before the, the flood began. But now, you know, the, the young people, the young comedians work properly hard. That, that, that uh, particular list is a bit ridiculous because it's about who's gigged the most in different venues, so it's about who's... T- Travelled the furthest, yes. I think, as much as anything, isn't it? Yes. So that's a bit unfair on comedians who do a residency. And... I was actually in our old street recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rupert Huck was on the show, and uh, so it's her constituency. So we went went round uh, went round our old streets doing doing a bit of knocking knocking up, oh, yeah. doing a Knock bit of up. knocking up, and um, <laughs> the, it just does look no better than, <laughs> than we were there in the in the early early nineties. Well. So yeah, I wasn't walking around going, "Oh, it's good to be back." It was very much, "I can see why we only spent six months here yeah. or, or whatever." But it is Rimpy? Fags, foods, non-foods, wines and spirits still... I don't think it's still there, is it, on Horn Lane? No, I, I don't remember it, to be honest, in the early not, 1990s, but no. you, you assured me it was. Fags, foods, non-foods, wines and spirits, I remember it very yeah. well. What I particularly liked was the non-foods bit. <laughs> <laughs> foods, non-foods. They've got, they had everything there. A bottle of wine for two quid is, is, is what they had. So <laughs> you, you have a, a book out. You, 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 well, as, as the podfather, you have various ways of funding your, yeah. your, 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 your legion of, of podcasts. And uh, you do badges and you've got a new subscription on Drip. Yeah. But also Christmas emergency questions. Right? Yeah. This idea you can buy the book and if you're having a very stilted conversation over Christmas and it's not going very well, you can get out this Christmas emergency questions book and ask a question from there's, the book. Yeah, there's 500 questions. I did one. Well, I, these were things I was doing on the podcast just as by the by and often them with these good ideas you kind of just think oh that's quite a fun thing to do and after about 12 series I went oh people quite like these emergency questions so I wrote a book of 500 emergency questions which you can use in any circumstances some of them are a bit rude you have to be a bit careful about it uh, uh, but, uh, but you know I was getting emails from people saying I was in an avalanche in Nepal and thought I was going to die um, we had an hour, you know, we had two, two days to wait for the rescue services and we asked each other these questions and it helped us pass the time. So I realised there was something in these questions. So, yeah, I've done the book and then it's just a great way of funding the podcast because 
you, people like the podcast, then they buy a book and they love, they want the book and then. The and is the idea them. that you remember some of these these questions to ask it in difficult moments? Because if you, if you suddenly crack open the book, Christmas yeah. emergency questions, when a conversation is not going very well, <laughs> my guess is that's not going to help well, no, the conversation. It's, then, then it's like a game, isn't it? The Christmas dinner table. You can. I've mainly avoided Brexit in the Christmas emergency questions, but but it's you know, most of them about Christmas, but some of them about other stuff as well. But it's it's a game you can play with people. You can go on a date, and you, there's an app of it now as well, so you can sort. Of and what about emergency answers? for when somebody asks you a really shit question. <laughs> yeah, that would be good as well. Next Christmas. Some, some people want the answers to these questions, but the, the point, the questions are all kind of, nearly all don't have an, an actual answer. But it's, it's a way, it, they do work. I mean, they work within the podcast. And what's quite interesting in the podcast, I think you ask questions about people's career and then you throw in something. The thing, as you know, if you've been, ever been interviewed or if you interview people, you end up being asked the same questions again and again and you've got a stock answer to those questions and that becomes a script, basically. You know, so what's, how did you get into comedy or what's the funniest heckle you ever had? And you've got that script and it becomes a story in your head. If you ask someone, uh, have you ever flown a kite or have you ever been in a canoe or would you prefer... Uh, to be uh, lactose intolerant or the Prime Minister of the Central African Republic, then no-one's been asked those questions in this context before, and it acts as a different part of their brain. And it was a completely accidental thing, but I realised by asking, by throwing in something like that, you actually open up a different part, the imaginative part of people's brains. And so when you go back to asking another question, and the most famous examples were Stephen Fry, where we had a lovely conversation with Stephen Fry, it was very funny, and then I asked, what's it like being Stephen Fry, which is a question that had been written by a nine-year-old Welsh boy, uh, and he suddenly opened up and told this story that he'd never told about attempting suicide, and you know it became a very a serious moment. But I think because the world had opened up to to different stories than he would have told before, he was so you said buy this book, and then suddenly you know your, your well, aunt who you can't get any sense out of is suddenly going to open up, and, and <laughs> give, give, give you all these. But well, you know, at Christmas, I think especially it's good for Christmas because I think at Christmas it's. You know, there's that stilted thing around the, you know, sitting around the, the table with your family. If you can just ask stupid questions and have fun and have a laugh, that's all really it's about. So I try to be careful with them to make sure they will work yeah. in the right environments when they're. And, and you're obviously famous for, for using new technology, for you know, innovating, as it were. Because, I mean, technology, it, it's moving at a, at a pace at the moment. It's often very difficult to get. You know, get across things. Certainly, uh, WhatsApp maybe on the, on the right, <laughs> trying to work out which group to send. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know you. Lu- Lucy was uh, sending sending a couple of messages on WhatsApp, and sent them to the wrong group, and she was uh, having a word with a couple of fellow M- Labour MPs discussing them, and then sent it to the, the same group that they were part of. But but surely, if you've got if you've got something to it say to people, it, it you know it's much better to say it to their face. So in many ways, <laughs> it was a brave thing to do. Was that not right, Lucy? It, 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 it was not a good moment, but no. I've, I've learned to laugh about it, yeah. Excellent. But everybody tells you their story. It's, it's probably one of those, it's like a conversation opener because everybody then says, oh, my God, I did this, I did that, and told you. I think everyone's done that thing where they accidentally email the thing to the person. That's, you know, yeah. you're, thinking of, it's a, you know, you're thinking about the person, so you accidentally put their... Everything fills in itself, doesn't it? So you just have to put that But in. WhatsApp's so public. I it sent is. this to the whole of the PLP yeah. about two colleagues... <laughs> It wasn't good. No. It wasn't good. But, but it's important that people show their human side. And, you <laughs> it know, is. Future leader of the Labour Party, right here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so we're going to go to questions now, just before we do, just whilst you're getting yourself together on this. Um, just to mention, we have, um, we have a podcast and uh, we have a show, January show. The show coming up, we have uh, Josh Widdicombe, we have David Lammy MP, we have Suzanne Moore 
from uh, The Guardian. So it should, should be a great to January the 29th. Um, after that, I'm going to be taking some paternity leave. So uh, it's going to be the last one of the current... I need more nappies in my life. So uh, if anybody's looking on the podcast, uh, feel free to get in contact at anyparsons.co.uk at the website. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's see who's got a question. Who, who in this audience would like to ask one of our panellists a question? Without being boring and going back to Brexit, does the panel think that David Davis will become less slack about his negotiations with the EU and deliver a good deal. OK, Lucy, let's start with you. What, what's your feeling on this? Does he need to be less slack about he, his negotiations? He needs to be less slack, but I don't think he will be less slack. I think he's got away with winging it so far, so I think he'll carry on winging it, I'm afraid. Has he got away with winging it so far? Well, yes, because Theresa May's had to sort of come in and try and mop up his crap off the floor, basically. And, there, there'll uh, be even more crap if and he gets the orange juice. And there'll be a lot more juice. crap. There's a yes. lot, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm going to try that later. Yeah, yes. Follow him round the lobby and say, yeah. here, have some orange. Um, <laughs> Michael, yeah. what about you? Um, well, you know, there's, there's what, 15 months to go until Brexit is actually due to happen. And, you know, are we sure there isn't going to be another general election in that time? In which case, perhaps it will be Labour's problem instead. And then uh, <laughs> instead of Brexit tearing the Tory party apart, it can tear Labour apart instead. So, uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure you are. Well, I'll be out in lots of other constituencies, making sure that other seats get wheeled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going around, going around saying, vote Tory. We don't yeah. want to have to deal with this. There'll be no more knocking up in neighbouring constituencies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Richard, anything you'd like to add well, to this? Well, I'm kind of hoping, because it's a very divisive thing, and, you know, the problem is some people wanted one thing, some people wanted another thing, and I'm kind of hoping that the, the final deal will satisfy absolutely nobody. <laughs> and I think that's the only thing that will make everyone happy in the United Kingdom if, if nobody gets exactly what they wanted. So if you can do that, then that will be the perfect Brexit. And remember... Happy if- Christmas, everybody! <laughs> <laughs> so we, we will leave it there. We will leave it there. Thank you very much. Um, if you are listening on the podcast, uh, please subscribe. I also believe uh, rate and review is good. Is that right? They'll talk to the podfather. Is that the, the important thing? Rate and review. Somebody said you've got to say that, so I've said it now. And uh, <laughs> but please spread spread the word. Uh, you know, come come to the the January show. Listen to the podcast. Ask a question. Whatever is required. They say from tiny acorns things can grow, provided that they're not snaffled by the squirrels. So, uh, but even then, the squirrels grow. So it still it still holds true. We don't quite know what 2018 will hold for us, do we? But um, Richard, if you you know if you would like to. Uh, if you would like to buy some emergency questions, please support the podcast from Richard. And you had a wonderful thing as well, Michael, on your... You've, you've pinned it to Twitter, um, Refuge, Refuge ah, Organisation. Yes. You can send specific presents to women and children who are in uh, avoiding domestic uh, violence in refuges. Uh, that's right, yeah. yeah. If you just go to the Refuge website, uh, you can, instead of just donating money, which I mean is, is great, but it's just a really nice personal touch. You can, they've got a whole list of possible presents, and you can choose which one you want to send to, to women or or children who are in refuges and you know it's just and then you pay for it and then it's just really nice thought on Christmas morning you can imagine them opening it there's also another charity as well called uh, Book Trust who work with uh, children in care and if you go to their website donate £10 then a child in care will receive books for Christmas which is a really nice lovely well. refuge.org.uk as I say we, we don't quite know um, what 2018 will, will hold we do know that there will be more breakfast meetings for the EU I think because uh, Jean-Claude Juncker apparently likes a cognac for breakfast so they have the breakfast meetings because they're not quite sure what sort of state he's going to be in by lunchtime <laughs> and, but if you go to Paris you know it's, it's a fairly 
common thing on the continent, isn't it? You go into a cafe at 9am, you have a lot of French workers come in, having a, a little sharpener, and off they go to work. And, of course, if we did that in, in Britain, we'd just think, oh, I quite fancy a second. Uh, <laughs> and then I'll phone in sick. So... <laughs> If you please thank our panel tonight, we have Lucy Powell, Michael Deakin, Richard Herring. Thank you for coming. Hopefully see you next time. Thank you. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.